A great big hello and welcome to all of you who are just joining the Action for Canada Empower Hour webinar. A recording of tonight's webinar and previous episodes are available. We've had some amazing guests who have shared vital information with us, so be sure to go to our website to access the recordings. Joining Tanya tonight is Leighton Gray. Following his presentation, we will have a question and answer period. A quick reminder that when it's your turn to speak, please keep your question brief, relevant, and to the point. One of my greatest joys is to read from the Bible every morning, and I find special comfort from the book of Psalms. I want to share the first four verses of Psalm 68 with you today. Rise up, O God, and scatter your enemies. Let those who hate God run for their lives. Blow them away like smoke. Melt them like wax in a fire. Let the wicked perish in the presence of God. But let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God. And to his name, sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Action for Canada is a grassroots movement reaching out to millions of Canadians and uniting our voices in opposition to the destructive policies tearing at the fabric of our nation. Through call to action campaigns, we equip citizens to take action. We are committed to protecting faith, family, and freedom. Long before most of us were aware of the corruption and malfeasance at every level of government in Canada, Tanya Gaw, the founder of Action for Canada, was fighting hard to protect our rights and freedoms. And now, as more and more people are waking up to what's really happening in Canada, we're so thankful that we have the Action for Canada platform to enable and empower us to take a stand. Tanya is a woman of faith and passion and integrity, and I think everyone on the call tonight will agree that God has raised her up and is using her for such a time of, as this. Hello, Tanya. Hi, Heather, and welcome, everyone. Heather, thank you for your presentation, the orientation. And uh, everybody that is new uh, from 4.45 to 5 o'clock BC time, just as a reminder, we provide this orientation because so many people are becoming awake and aware. Um, after two years, uh, you know, the pressure is finally getting to a point where they can no longer ignore what's going on. And so we want to make sure when they come on to Action for Canada, the Empower Hour, that they're filled in on, on just a little bit of the massive amount of materials and support that Action for Canada has to offer. So Heather, thank you again. I really want to um, get through my updates quite quickly. So I think I'll go in right to sharing the page. All right, for, for those of you who are new, I do just an update um, every week to make sure that you know what our strategies are and our campaigns. Uh, there's certain strategy we don't make public and others we do because it's so obvious what needs to be done. And uh, so if you go to call to action, I just want to bring to your attention that we've made a change this week. Uh, normally with the call to action campaigns in the past, pre-COVID, it would just be an action and you always knew to go to that page and you can find it. But now we've changed it to weekly emails instead of recent actions and the urgent actions 
are the actual call to actions that we have been embedding in the weekly letters. Uh, we please ask you to go to this page, make sure that you're engaging law enforcement and appealing to them, helping to educate them, helping to, like I said, appeal to them to understand that this is their country, they sworn a duty and an oath to protect the citizens of this nation and that we're heading into tyranny. And the only time countries succeeded in not falling into tyranny is when the military and police stood with the people and not this corrupt government. Continue to put the pressure on the Liberal MPs. We are demanding that they remove Trudeau and that they resign. We are asking you to rally outside their offices. Even if they're not there, we want uh, the constituents, the people that voted them into office to understand there's major problems. Make sure your signs um, are compelling to talk about the corruption and maybe point out a few of the highlights of what they've permitted in the last two years. All right, Bill 67 is in Ontario. It is the one on uh, critical race theory. Please make sure that you are, even if you're not in Ontario, critical race theory is, is spreading uh, across Canada. It is part of the global um, uh, cabal's uh, just agenda to break down democracy and divide people. Uh, we have created a page as well, which I'll show you in a moment. Uh, to bring more awareness to critical race theory. And then, of course, this was Bill C-230. Prior to COVID, Justin Trudeau, uh, they are just uh, all about death and destruction. And so they brought in this euthanasia bill. And now it is uh, to the point where doctors, uh, pro medical professionals, are being intimidated and coerced into participating, as it said here, in medically-assisted suicide. And I love Campaign Coalition. They, they don't just create a petition for the sake of it. They actually get all of those signatures, and then they print them off and bring them to whomever it is their target at the legislature. All right, so this is a great page. Um, make sure that uh, you're paying attention to this. If you haven't received our weekly email for some reason, you can come here and get updated. This week is tyranny, hitting the pause button. All right, please understand that these uh, restrictions uh, that are being lifted right now are only a pause. They want to make people feel like they can kind of relax, life is getting back to normal. It's not going to because their end goal is to bring in digital ID and control every aspect of our life like they're doing in China. Uh, they even tell us straight out, you know, we've got, uh, I'll, I don't even want to call her Dr. Tam, we'll just stick to Tam. Canadian government should be ready to resume public health measures if another serious variant of COVID-19 emerges. All right, so they're already telling us that they're planning on a serious, uh, I don't know what they'll name it this time, uh, but we know that it's coming in the fall. I compare it as I was writing this action to them. You know, when you have that friend, I have an old, I have a brother older by 45 minutes, mind you, but you know, they like to dunk you in the water and, and then that's fun. And you come up gasping for air and they do it again. Right. And this is what I feel like the government has been doing to us for the last two years, dunking you underwater, feeling like, okay, you're The game is over. You know, we're, we are, we're able to breathe again. And so they want people to, you know, go on a holiday, uh, but they're still putting the fear tactics in the back of your mind. Uh, please remember, we cannot become apathetic or lazy over the summer. We have to be mobilizing the masses, which Action for Canada is doing by asking you, please, if you're not part of a chapter, please get uh, signed up and become involved because within these communities, 
We are very focused on people running as a school board trustee, as a mayor, city council, MPP, MLA, and an MP. And we want to have massive wins. We need to get back every level of government. Yeah, like I said, the trustees, you have no idea how important it is. If you're a teacher, run as a trustee if you have that experience. We need just so bad um, anybody that would have been on these uh, boards agreeing with what was happening with our kids in the last year. I believe they belong in jail, but at the very least, we need to get them removed from the school boards. All right, we're very excited. We've been talking about uh, this. Uh, We're going to have a youth leadership and speaker program. It is going to start on April 1st, and I just love it. Dr. Greg Gary is going to uh, be the one running running this course. He is amazing, has a good degree, as I said, in economics here, but also in education and a doctorate in theology. Yesterday, Dr. Grady, uh, Gary came on to the weekly show that I do uh, for business owners, uh, employees, and parents. It used to be three Zooms a week. I put it into one, 4.30 BC time on Tuesdays. And Dr. Greg came on and he did it on the economics, the world banking system, the fiat. It was so good that we're going to have him back on an Empower Hour. So be ready for that. I put this video that's from the fall on here, medical coercion is illegal in Canada and how uh, Trudeau and Christy Freeland, they are liars and thieves. And I just don't want anybody to uh, forget about what it is that they're up to. So please continue to spread this video. I thought it was very well done. Um, And then again, on the racial equity is what they call it, but it's critical race theory. We are going to be also uh, uh, bringing more attention to this. We've known about it for a while now, but people's ears prior to COVID-19 were not ready to hear about um, these, these other political pandering views that the government was trying to bring in that's part of, like I said, the global agenda to break down our democracy. So this is an interesting video. I'd encourage you to um, take some time and listen to that. Uh, I've talked about that bill already. Uh, The truckers are on the road again. I love it. We did the Willie Nelson on there. That's fun. Oops, didn't mean to hit that. (laughs) But you can come to our Freedom Convoy page. And uh, they've made it very clear that they're on the move again. And we did have some links here, but we want to make sure that we're using the most legitimate um, individuals backing this. So pay attention to this page. I know it's all over social media. They're already doing uh, uh, what do you call the, the schedule and where they're traveling. Okay, uh, I think that uh, the, what I really want to point out in the bottom here as well We have such good news. Every week I'm hearing from other people who are using Action for Canada's notices of liability, especially our chapter leaders. I've had incredible, uh, we have a chapter leader in Ontario, Terry, and she worked so hard with the school board that was masking, deciding to put masks on kindergartners. She had one of the trustees on the phone. She let her know, we're coming after you for personal liability. This is criminal what you're doing to our kids. She was quite concerned. She said, send me what you have on masks. Uh, Terry sent that to uh, this lady who shared it with the school board trustees. Then they continued to provide, um, you know, pressure. And last week they voted against, they reversed their decision to mask uh, children. 
And uh, so we're having other wins as well. But uh, please get involved with the chapters because together we can do amazing things. As an update for those who have been following us on BC with the campaign against the school board trustees who were told to mandate vaccination, we're now up to 30 uh, trustees, uh, school boards that have voted no, and we're 50% of the way there. And one of those school boards was Nanaimo, who had previously a few weeks ago voted yes, and they've actually rescinded. They've reversed that decision. And so we're quite excited about that. I've been working with a woman this week who was tricked. And, you know, you many of you here today may be in this position where they gave you the option to say, yes, I'm going to get vaccinated or no. And so she uh, checked the box, no, signed her name. And then below there, it says, if you check the box, no, you know, you'll be terminated. And so anyways, March 5th, on a Saturday, she finds out she's terminated on March 7th. So I, I wrote some very strongly worded letters to them, basically telling them this is extortion, intimidation, what the rule of law was. And wouldn't you know, this week they reinstated her. Now, they've reinstated her uh, as an unpaid employee, but we've said that's not good enough. She needs to be fully reinstated. Um, Those letters that I'm writing are on the Notice of Liability page. And if you just scroll down to Templates, please use these letters. These are all regarding school board trustees and the school system for teachers, et cetera, for children. And these are the ones that have gone to the city. This is the most recent thread that I'm talking about. Please go in here, copy, paste it, use whatever you need to hold your employers, the union, everybody, you know, needs to know your point of view from a legal standpoint and what your rights are. And I'm telling you, uh, I won't mention what city it was, but the union's jumping the city is jumping. The fact that they didn't keep her on uh, in, in a position that where she was terminated, that they've reinstated her, means that what we're doing is effective. All right. I just want to make sure I've talked about this. We're good. NOLs, the templates. All right. There's the page showing the 30 schools that have voted no. I think more have uh, voted no as well, but they're trying to keep it very secret. (laughs) So we're having to dig in. And again, if you haven't already under join, go down and join a chapter because it is absolutely so exciting to see how the chapters are growing in every single province. And soon, I believe we have them coming in the Yukon. Look at this. There used to be one in Ontario in August. Now we've got 44, 44 chapters throughout, 39 throughout BC, growing in every province. This is how we're going to take back our country. And we need you part of this historical campaign. It's so exciting. And then as well, if you would please... Donate to Action for Canada. We're talking about putting uh, a cryptocurrency on here as well. We think that's a good idea. And uh, we would love it if you would please sign up as a monthly donor to help support all of the incredible work that Action for Canada is doing. We have so many great volunteers, but uh, we need some in paid positions uh, because this organization, like I say, is growing and we need good leadership. And sometimes that takes a little bit of cash to get that done. You know that the worldwide rallies are taking place this weekend. Please get out there. Your bodies are such an incredible sign to the government that we will not consent. We will not bow down. And uh, we're going to take this to the streets. Uh, Just a quick touch, and then we'll bring Leighton on, about the Conservative Party. I know Pierre Polliver is a smooth talker. Boy, he sounds good right now. But you know what? I don't think we can trust him as far as we can throw him. 
The conservative party has been missing in action for two years. They have promoted the vaccine. They have not been fighting for Canadians and they've also voted for Bill C-4. And I've talked about that multiple times, uh, which now if a parent, after they've indoctrinated our kids in the school system, saying they're not a boy, they're not a girl, they can be anything in between or nothing at all. Uh, now kids are coming home en masse saying, I'm no longer a girl, I'm a boy. And if they come home and say that at seven years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, you as a parent, if you don't support this gender dysphoria, that they were indoctrinated into, you as a parent can be put in jail for five years. Why did the Conservative Party support that? All right, let's ask some really good questions. I happen to know because they're knocking on action for Canada's door. They're really wanting our support and they're already trying to manipulate your vote by bringing in Sean, who is so far left, he's ridiculous. And through the first past the post voting system, his votes are meant to go to Pierre Polliver. All right, we're going to pick another party, a party that has been faithful to Canadians in the last year, a party that's growing strong. And I think we, with the chapters and promoting our, our elected officials, those, those candidates who understand what's at stake here in our country, I really think that we can take this country back. But it's going to need all of us to get involved. Don't get sleepy over the summer. All right, Heather, I'm going to give that back to you. Would you please bring Leighton on? I'm so excited about this. Okay. <laughs> Thank you once again, Tanya. We just so appreciate all the information that you give us. Joining us this evening for the very first time is Leighton Gray. Leighton is Senior Managing Partner and Head of Civil Litigation with Gray Falk Sensor LLP, based in Calgary, Edmonton, Cold Lake, Alberta. Since 2020, Leighton has acted as lead counsel in several high-profile constitutional cases, including Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church, Pastor Lee Stevens and his church in Calgary, the lockdown challenge involving Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Chief Medical Officer of Health in Alberta, and various vaccine mandate cases involving CN, CP, AHS, various universities, the Salvation Army, and more. In 2020, Leighton also experienced a cancel culture attack, which was orchestrated by the NDP government and the CBC. Leighton is a proud Albertan, Canadian, conservative, and tireless advocate for restoration and rehabilitation of the civil liberties guaranteed us all by God and the rule of law as protected under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It is my great honor to welcome Leighton Gray to the Empower Hour. Welcome, Leighton. Hello, how are you? Really good. Super. Thank you, Heather. So, Leighton, so good to have you on. You are a man of so many accomplishments. I was, as we were preparing, you know, the invitation for you, I was just absolutely amazed at that all that you've done. I understand that you used to be a, focused on uh, as a criminal lawyer. And some years ago, you saw the attack against our democracy and started to focus on constitutional. And you have really taken on some really heavy cases. And we know, especially considering the pastors, that I've been saying that the way to destroy de democracy is to destroy the church. And so I would just like to hand the floor over to you. And it just whatever is on your heart to speak about, we'd love update on the cases. And then we'll have a little bit of conversation and then go into a time of Q&A because I know people have some good questions for you. All right. 
Um, well, I think uh, where I'd like to, to start is maybe um, picking up a bit of a thread. I saw that you had Mr. Brian Peckford on last week. I had the, the pleasure of spending about two and a half hours with Mr. Peckford yesterday because he was on my, my own podcast, my new podcast. For those who are interested, it's called uh, uh, the Grey Matter Podcast. Um, and uh, we have some very, we've had some very fascinating guests on there so far. I had a sit down with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, uh, who is a worldwide expert on COVID-19. Um, we've also had uh, uh, Pastor James Coates on, which uh, I think uh, those of your listeners and viewers who are interested in uh, really appreciating a journey of faith, um, that one will be particularly instructive. Pastor Coates has actually written a wonderful book about his experiences and also the history of his church. And also within his book, and he talks about this in the podcast, uh, he describes how Christians can exercise proper and effective civil disobedience, which is obviously very topical uh, in our in our country. Anyway, talking about Brian Peckford, um, the reason why I mentioned him is because we talked about uh, just about everything. As you saw, he's capable of talking about just about anything. But I start there because he, Mr. Peckford and I were, were discussing, you know, where Canada is right now uh, versus where it was when he was the premier of Newfoundland, you know, in the late 1970s and uh, early 1980s. And of course, uh, as your listeners would know, he's the last living signatory to the, to the charter. One of the things we talked about is, and this ties in with the point that you just made about really uh, the paucity of leadership in our country. We just don't have the quality of human beings in leadership positions. And this is sort of proves the accuracy of the meme that is out all over the internet about how weak times or, uh, you know, good times produce weak leaders and so on. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're talking about Mr. Polivier, I don't know him. Uh, I've seen some of his politics, but, you know, he's focused on, he says he's in favor of freedom and lower taxes. Well, duh, who isn't? Um, but on the subject of values, I saw on Twitter, he just posted out a tweet about uh, can how Canada should support the Ukraine. And it was hauntingly similar to some comments that I saw that George Soros had made about uh, what Canada should be doing, what the world should be doing in terms of supporting Ukraine. And that's curious to me. Whenever people like George Soros and Justin Trudeau say something, uh, I tend to run screaming in the opposite direction. Anyway, getting back to uh, Mr. Packford, uh, what we were talking about, uh, what we got into was a discussion of Canadian values, which of course Justin Trudeau says do not exist. I expect the people listening to, to this podcast uh, believe very differently and are making sacrifices uh, in, to protect um, you know, virtues, or Canadian values. And one of the things that we talked about, Brian Peckford and I, was, you know, the charter and the concept of God being at the head of the state. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting phenomenon. When you look at nations like Canada and United States, um, Great Britain, uh, Australia, that have a history of Christianity, they also have a long history of freedom so that uh, Christianity and states that have God at the head um, are always more free. 
Uh, and I think this this gets back to, or it's founded in the fact that, uh, and this is my my own belief, is that God made us to be free. That's why we were given free will. And that is the natural state of human beings. And what's happening today is we're seeing an inversion of that. We're seeing the state being uh, being put put above all. And these these God-given rights are civil liberties. Um, uh, they are being treated as uh, privileges, as uh, so much Halloween candy that the government can give out and take away. And you see this in the attitude of uh, Dr. Tam, who says, uh, yes, well, all of you enjoy your freedoms today because, you know, if these COVID numbers go up, we could take it all away. And uh, it really begs the question of how are we supposed to live in a free and democratic society under what is basically an oppressive, tyrannical uh, situation. Um, Canadians are being daily abused by our governments. And uh, one of the things I talked about with Brian Peckford is this is very confusing for Canadians because by and large, uh, people of my generation, I just turned 54, you know, we've lived through many decades of, by and large, pretty good government. Been fortunate in Canada. We've had, you know, with some exceptions, uh, we've had pretty good government in this country. But today, everywhere across the country, uh, Canadians are under attack, and especially um, the working the working class. But um, when talking with Mr. Peckford about the charter, uh, we talked about how, in terms of God being at the head of the state. Uh, right in the charter, in the preamble to the charter, it says that everything is prefaced by uh, the supremacy of God and the rule of law. And those two concepts, supremacy of God and the rule of law, are inextricably linked. Uh, you can never have the rule of law, respect it, in a society where, uh, where God is not at the head of the state. And the reason for that is because if you have a ruler... The, who is the head of state, they, they become a demigod. They're not answerable to anyone. And so that's why we see, for example, our prime minister, in fact, across the country, we see leaders who, um, you know, it's rules for V, but not for me. They regard themselves as being above the law. And this is why they're able to persistently and perniciously lie to us constantly. And, uh, and these, these rules that apply to, to us are not... Uh, are not uh, applied to to the ruling class. So bringing that down to earth in terms of the work that I've been doing, uh, this is really the reason why I've uh, got involved in these cases is because uh, what I'm witnessing is um, really a, a, a destruction, an orchestrated uh, program of destruction that's designed to to destroy not only the civil liberties, not only uh, the statement of values that are enunciated in the charter, but really an orchestrated attack on the fundamental values, uh, the, the, you know, the principles that underlie our society. All of us in the West are enjoying a, a legacy. Uh, all of our freedoms and our systems of government, the things that make us free, are tied to two streams of thought. And there's a wonderful book about this that I'll just mention by a very well-known U.S. commentator named Ben Shapiro, who's involved with the Daily Wire group. Ben Shapiro has written a number of wonderful books. One of them is called The Right Side of History. And in that book, uh, Mr. Shapiro 
describes how the West has really been illuminated and all of our institutions, including government, law, politics, have been illuminated by two streams. One is, of course, Judeo-Christian morality, and the other is the, you know, the legacy of thought of, and free expression and reason that we've inherited from the Greeks and the Roman uh, tradition all the way through the Enlightenment. And what we are seeing in the West uh, is a destruction of, of, these, of these values, of these fundamental beliefs that have made everything that we enjoy possible. All of our personal freedom, all of our, all of our prosperity, the arts, culture, uh, everything that we enjoy now is, is because uh, these, these have been the guiding principles of our society. And we're seeing these uh, under constant attack. And you talked about in your opening some of the reasons for that and some of the ways that these things are under attack. Um, so uh, we start from there. And then um, the other thing that uh, Brian Peckford and I talked about, in fact, it turned out that we've read a lot of the same books, which is not surprising because uh, we're both Christians and we're both conservatives. Um, there's another great book by uh, uh, a man who died just a few years ago, the late Dr. Roger Scruton. He's a British, uh, really a genius, who, who wrote uh, books on everything from architecture to wine to music, but also to law and politics. He's a Cambridge-educated lawyer. He wrote a, a, a great book that I recommend that people would read called How to Be a Conservative. And in it, um, he provides a definition of what it, what it means to be conservative, which um, does not fit people like Pierre Polivier very well. And what he said is that to be a conservative, what that means is to ask the question, well, what, what does a conservative do? Well, a conservative conserves. And then that begs the next question, well, what does a conservative conserve? And his answer is beauty. And beauty in a broad sense. Okay, so beauty would encompass all the things uh, in, in our culture, including our language, our religion, music, the arts, family, education, um, the way that we, we deal with, other, with each other in terms of healthcare, uh, law, all of it. Every, the, the entire legacy that we would want to preserve, to conserve, to hand on to future generations because it is our representation of what's beautiful about our culture, about our society. And so that's what a conservative is, and that's what a conservative does. And so this is at the heart of the battle. We're up against uh, a group of people, leftists, who are bent on destruction of all that, because they're under the maniacal delusion that once they, they wipe away, once they erase all of what's beautiful about the West, that they'll be able to replace it with something else. And what they don't understand is that actually what they're going to produce is nihilism. They're going to, they're going to destroy everything that is good and there will be, there will be nothing, nothing left. Um, and so I really see what's going on right now, not to overstate it. I see this as a, as a classic good versus evil struggle. And it's not hard for me to see um, who's on the side of good. Um, and that's why I'm on the side that I'm on. That's one thing. And that also convinces me that we're going to win. Um, so um, that's a bit of an explanation about why I'm involved in this fight 
I'm also a father. I'm a proud father of two beautiful uh, teenage boys. And I, talking about this legacy, I, I want to be able to, to, to hand down the, the, the legacy of our country and also my own legacy. I've worked a lifetime to create a flourishing business. I'm very grateful for that. God has blessed me in that regard. And uh, both of my sons have aspirations to be lawyers. And it was my dream to be able to hand on the legacy of my firm to my sons. Well, uh, that's all in jeopardy now because uh, Canada presently is not a place, not a good place for children. It's not a good place for adults. It's certainly not a good place for the elderly um, or the poor. Um, and uh, we've become a much less caring country. And uh, that deeply, deeply saddens me and concerns me. And, and also, it, it makes me um, a, a bit angry. And, uh, and, and so um, coming down to, to my story, I was humming along in 2020. I, was, uh, I, I became alarmed. I was alarmed uh, about Justin Trudeau and what I was seeing very early on because um, what I saw in Justin Trudeau is uh, a person woefully unqualified to be prime minister and who was simply running on his father's name. Uh, which is a name that is, was not very popular in Alberta in, in, in any case. Um, and so um, I was at that time, I'm going back to about 2015, 2016 and onwards, I was very active on social media and critical of the Liberal government. I saw some of the things that they were doing, particularly uh, when I saw what uh, they started to do when they started to mess around with uh, gender identity and uh, the, the whole incident surrounding Jordan Peterson. Um, if your viewers are familiar with that, where it became an issue of compelled speech. That was when I started to become active uh, on social media and critical of the Liberal government. So flash forward to uh, early part of 2020, and uh, I was asked by Jason Kenney, who was elected in 2019 in the vast majority in the Alberta legislature. And... Um, at that time, uh, although the Rachel Notley government, the NDP government, which is as leftist as Justin Trudeau, um, within the span of only four years, they had uh, they'd really cleaned every conservative off of almost every board in the entire province, including judicial selection committees. And so when Jason Kenney came to power, uh, part of his agenda was to restore some equilibrium uh, and remove, uh, you know, some people from from these judicial selection committees. So the particular committee uh, that I was selected to to serve on was to to pick provincial court judges, and uh, you know the type of people that that I was replacing were uh, one was a was a gender um, professor of gender studies at, uh, at you know at the University of Alberta. Uh, another one was. Um, was a was a head of a of a, of a socialist organization. Um, another one had ties to uh, BLM. So you, you what was happening was uh, the conservative government was removing these people, as I said, to restore some sense and sensibility to these judicial selection committees. And I was selected not only because I'm a conservative, but also because I happen to have um, uh, indigenous heritage. Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a First Nations person myself, and so um, I was asked to serve on this uh, Judicial Selection Committee, and I accepted the appointment. However, uh, because of my, I was trolled on social media, 
and uh, and the CBC and the provincial NDP, uh, they brought my name up in the legislature and they used me as a cudgel with which to to hit the Kenny government. And I was called a racist, a misogynist. Uh, I was called an anti-Semite uh, because I criticized George Soros. Um, and um, I was also called a racist because I was critical of uh, Black Lives Matter. So um, in any case, what happened was um, I became the, the subject of a cancel culture attack. I won't say victim because I, I will never be a victim, uh, but I was a subject of a cancel culture attack. And uh, that was a huge uh, wake up call. And it was a very trying time in my life. It was, uh, it was, an, it was adversity. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, but um, in the aftermath, like most difficult experiences in life, um, it was uh, it was an education, and it made me uh, a better person. And the best part of it was that uh, I was introduced to uh, a community of people uh, with whom I had a lot in common, uh, both uh, ideologically and uh, you know and and religiously. And uh, and so that is how I became uh, a constitutional lawyer. Um, in the aftermath of my cancer culture experience, I was on a very prestigious board. I was I sat as as a uh, an adjudicator uh, on in uh, Law Society of Alberta dis- disciplinary committee uh, meetings. So, in other words, when other lawyers got in trouble, I would be one of the sort of judges who would decide their cases. And I had volunteered on that for a number of years. And when the story broke in the CBC. Law Society of Alberta summarily and publicly uh, dismissed me. They did not call me. They didn't talk to me. They didn't try to get my side of the case. They just said, uh, because of this publicity, you're off. Um, I was also part of uh, an organization called the Alberta Civil Trial Lawyers Association, which in October 2019 had just uh, given me a prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award, humanitarian award for my work on behalf of Indigenous peoples. And um, they they sought my resignation from that board, and uh, and they asked to take back uh, the award that they just given me. So um, this was not uh, this is not anybody's idea of fun, uh, and so there was some some harm to my reputation. Um, but in the aftermath of that, um, ultimately I was removed from the judicial selection committee, and I should state why I was removed. This is what I said. I made a pledge on social media that I would select judges solely upon the basis of their meritorious characteristics, that I would have no regard for uh, race, uh, gender, sect, uh, any of that. Uh, and, And I took the position, I took the view that in order to select a judge to put a person in, in a position of that kind of power, that kind of responsibility, we cannot afford to bend uh, to, to, to things like considerations of like affirmative action. We have the very best people uh, to, be in, to, to be the judges in our society. And uh, of course, um, this idea that um, judges should be selected based upon merit, based upon their record of, of achievement, uh, based upon their the quality of their legal careers and what kind of people they are, um, this is this was quite uh, quite anathema, and uh, but this is why I 
I was publicly canceled. Now, the great part of the story, the wonderful part of the story is that um, uh, some people came to my aid. Ezra Levant um, of Rebel News, uh, I was contacted by, uh, by his group, uh, both he and Shiva Gunn-Reed um, of, that were, of that network ran uh, pieces about me that gave me a full opportunity to explain my side of the, of the case. And uh, I'm so grateful for them that they had the courage to do that. And uh, it came at just the best uh, possible time. And uh, of course, I have tried to uh, repay the, the support that they've shown for me. I'll explain about that in a minute. Um, so that, but that was, uh, that was great. And then I also was introduced to a man named John Carpe, uh, who is the, uh, the head of the, actually the founder of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And um, John was, is, is a lawyer himself, and he was very upset about the shabby way that he thought I was treated by the Law Society of Alberta. And um, he and I had some discussion about whether or not some type of formal uh, legal action, legal steps should be taken against the Law Society. Ultimately, uh, he recommended against it, and I followed his advice and just moved on. However, um, that was a connection that was made. And then shortly after that, um, James Kitchen, uh, who was handling some of the some of the cases for for the Justice Center, uh, was uh, had a, a very large volume of cases. And uh, the way it was described to me is he was feeling a bit overwhelmed by that. And so John reached out to me, and uh, they needed someone who had experience in criminal law and civil litigation. And uh, I fit the bill. And so I was asked to do some contract work on behalf of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And uh, this was really a godsend. And I mean that literally. I, I believe this was, this was God acting in my life. Um, I'm a person who uh, uh, I believe I was raised in the light of the Lutheran Catechism. Um, and uh, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that my role as a lawyer is to work in a vocation where um, you know, in a, in a Calvinistic sense where my work is to help people uh, and to do good. And this uh, work that I was offered to through the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, it's no accident that it came along just at this precise time when I was being attacked. And we all know where these type of attacks come from. We all know where evil comes from. And just in that moment, in that moment of need, along came uh, these wonderful people and I was invited into a space and to take up a role that I could fill that really fit my skills. Um, and so I took it up with much eagerness and fervor and dedication. And so over, over the past two years, I've immersed myself in fighting these cases on behalf of uh, Canadians whose civil liberties, whose God-given natural rights are being uh, constantly violated by the evils perpetrated by governments and by corporations and other people who are influenced by these governments. So um, when I was brought into that world, essentially what happened was um, I was given over conduct of uh, a very intriguing case, an important case involving Pastor James Coates. And of course, I got to meet him and we formed a lasting friendship. He's just a very remarkable man. If he hasn't been on your show, you should get him on here because uh, mm -hmm. um, he's just an inspirational uh, figure. Um, but anyway, um, we, uh, I got involved and we had the first stage of his trial 
uh, last May I did that. And then I was also involved in uh, fighting a number of cases involving the famous whistle-stop injunction. People know what that is. Maybe I'll just explain mm -hmm. for a moment. Um, Alberta Health Services, and this was this is just incredible. I still can't believe this happened. Uh, <laughs> there's actually, uh, and, and, and people today, maybe they realize this, there's actually no authoritative scientific study anywhere to support the idea that people can get COVID-19 outside. And yet we had all these restrictions on outdoor uh, outdoor gatherings and Alberta uh, joined, up, joined, joined up in this. And uh, of course, um, we had the, the Bowdoin rodeo incident. And of course, uh, the, the Bowdoin rodeo was a type of government uh, protest. It was an outdoor rodeo where people went and had fun. It was last, last May, not even a year ago. And of course, in the aftermath, not a single person uh, who attended that rodeo was, uh, and it was, it turns out, were infected with COVID. But in any event, um, around that time, Alberta Health Services was able to convince uh, an Alberta Court of Queen's Bench Justice, a senior Alberta Court of Queen's Bench Justice, that every single person in Alberta should be subject to an injunction that would mm -hmm. uh, impose criminal sanctions on them if they publicly protested COVID-19 restrictions. Absolutely unprecedented in, in right. law. And, and really, to me, just, um, I, ha I have to say an appalling uh, miscarriage or misuse of, uh, of, of the power uh, of, of government uh, and of the, of the judiciary. So I was involved in, in, um, in fighting a lot of those injunction cases which landed people like uh, Pastor Timothy Stevens in jail. Uh, Pastor Timothy Stevens was actually uh, arrested. Of course, his church had to go underground. This is during the period in Alberta when uh, the Grace Life Church was triple barricaded and used as an RCMP barracks for about a month um, or longer. And uh, anyway, Timothy Stevens, um, he actually um, was arrested outside. They used a drone to detect him and he was arrested for conducting an outdoor uh, church service. Uh, and he was placed in, in jail because of the whistle stop injunction. So that, that's another example of the type of case I was involved in uh, at that time. And um, I also was given the, the lead uh, conduct of a case called Ingram, uh, which is the, uh, the, the case that's going through the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench right now which is alleging that all of the chief medical officer of health orders in Alberta, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, uh, are violations of the charter and should be struck down as unconstitutional. And uh, we actually had the first part of that trial took place between the 10th and 24th of February of this year. Um, Dr. Hinshaw is going to testify for three days next month in the early part of April. And so hopefully we'll have a decision on that in September. So that was what I was doing uh, up until uh, the vaccine mandates came along last fall. And then when the vaccine mandate situation hit, um, uh, oh, I should say the other thing that happened that we were doing, uh, we were asked to do on behalf of Rebel, we still are doing, was they had a campaign called Fight the Fines. And uh, my firm was asked to take on the contract to do all the Fight, fight the Fines cases uh, in BC, Manitoba, uh, the Yukon, and uh, Northwest Territories. And so we're still we're still you know fighting this case. I, I have a team of lawyers 
Stephen Whitehead is a lawyer in my office who's doing a lot of these. He's just done a wonderful job. He actually won another trial today um, in, in, uh, in British Columbia. Um, but uh, so we're fighting those. But when the vaccine mandates came in, that's when things really changed. And we were, we were contacted by uh, groups, uh, large groups of workers, um, skilled workers. You know, it was strange because they're, they're the kind of workers that are difficult to replace, um, highly skilled, um, uh, very dedicated, lots of experience, very important to um, the Canadian economy, really key people. And exactly the kind of people that our government has been trying to attract to Canada for many, many years. Um, and, uh, and yet here they are, they're all being forced out of their position simply because they've, they're making a medical choice that they don't want to put a bioweapon uh, into, their, into their bodies, an experimental drug into their bodies. So we were contacted by uh, Canadian Pacific uh, workers, mm -hmm. CN workers, there's a group in Ontario uh, who are um, trained uh, to work on trains. They work for a company called Alstom Metrolinks, for, formerly Bombardier. Um, we actually have one client, if you can believe this, wonderful lady who worked for the Salvation Army for over 20 years. And uh, she's a devout Christian. And they denied her religious exemption, um, on, which was made on the basis that she's a Christian. So I'm not sure what definition of the word salvation that the Salvation Army is working on, but I don't think they get the concept of salvation. Uh, so, so, uh, but yeah, that just gives you an idea of how how deep uh, this woke this woke ideology has infected uh, even some of our well, of our well, cherished well, well, institutions. Yeah, right. So, and, and so, so like, um, you know, I'm blathering on here. Yeah, Go ahead. Thank you. No, no. Yeah, it's okay. I just wanted to give you the time to do that because um, a lot of us and, and those who have joined us would be saying, where have the lawyers been? And, you know, originally, mm -hmm. uh, Rocco Galati was the only lawyer when I started looking into them. There, there was about uh, three or four that I had reached out to. Uh, the JCCF was actually one of them because James Kitchen, I had uh, created seminars and different things to address the trans LGBTQ agenda going into our schools. Uh, the comprehensive sexual education program that's of such great concern. And it was at a time where Canadians just, its I don't even know if it's that they didn't care. They didn't care enough to get involved because they were believing the government saying as the attack that came against you from the cancel culture, you're xenophobic, whatever that means, you're racist and all the rest of it. If you were to stand up and say, you know what, there's a limit to how much we're going to tolerate with what you're pushing in the schools and within society. I don't wanna be compelled with my speech. And and like I said, pre-COVID, everybody was just going along with this and, and they didn't see it coming. So you've touched on some very important um, cases as well with CNCP. I mean, we were waiting. Back when I was retaining Rocco, I did have a conversation with the JCCF. That was about July, but unfortunately their office was still split on whether COVID was a thing or not. And they weren't aware of the global agenda. And then I spoke to several other constitutional lawyers who as well, uh, they didn't understand the global agenda. And, and so as soon as I talked to Rocco within five minutes, I'm like, oh man, this is a guy that gets it because he'd already been taking on the central banks and trying to warn people. And so that is why, you know, I went in that direction, but 
I thank the good Lord that, uh, you know, more people have had to get to a place where they've had to look beyond this is a violation of our Constitution or Charter and who's behind this. How big is this machine? And and that's why we've got to be very strategic in pushing back because we are indeed still the majority. <laughs> and and so yes. could we get to, you know, a couple of questions? Um, because sure. I know that. Uh, all right. Super. So one of them, uh, somebody was asking on that. If, if we can charge people, why isn't the powers such as the RCMP judges, crown prosecutors doing their jobs? <laughs> That's a, you know, that's, that's a very good question. It's not strictly speaking a, a, a legal one, but I can certainly offer my opinion about this. Um, and it ties into what I was saying about how uh, we have an inversion of the proper uh, way that our state is set up. Okay. So the, if, when our state, when God is at the head of the state, uh, then democracy works. Democracy is actually a Greek word that comes from two words. Demos means people. Kratia means rule. And when democracy is working properly, when God is at the head of the state, then uh, people, uh, that means that the rule of law applies. Okay. And actually mm-hmm. the, the rule of law, a lot of people think it comes from the, from the Magna Carta, but it, it actually comes from, uh, <laughs> it comes from, the Bible, uh, because really, when you look at the Ten Commandments, really that that is a set of rules that apply to all of us, and they they free us. They free us. They're intended to, to to make us free to the extent that we're able to follow them. Because of course, sin is bondage, and mm-hmm. when we we act the way that we're supposed to according to those commandments, that makes us free. So that's really where the rule of law comes from. So coming back to the question. What's happening is we're seeing the destruction and the erosion of the rule of law. The rule of law is an expression of truth, of objective truth, translated as law. And so what's happening in our society today at every turn, you talk about gender. Well, fundamentally, uh, gender, you know, that is that's based on a lie. It's based on a lie that someone who's born a man can be a woman just by choosing. Well, we, we know that's not true. Rationally, that's fundamentally, that's not it's true. It's scientific and it's as the well. same thing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not scientific. And, and we know that it, it yeah. defies objective truth. But the people that we're up against who are trying to reshape our society have no concept of objective truth and reality. And so this is why they're not prepared to enforce the, the law because they don't see the law as an, a, a, as an objective expression of truth. For example, so that if a if a politician or if a uh, if if a policeman or a judge or anybody like that who's in a position of power is not following the law, um, that is not something that is now worthy of punishment because there's no standard, there's no objective standard. Everything is relative, and I would go as far as to say that we were conditioned. We were conditioned to think in this way by our prime minister through his many scandals mm-hmm. for through his his mm-hmm. black his his blackface and snc lavalin you know all the things all he would do he would break the law he he is the all-time record holder in ethics violations yeah. for prime ministers yeah, no one's is. even close he's like the, he's like the mm-hmm. wayne gretzky of records fi- of uh, ethics violations mm-hmm. and he conditioned mm-hmm. canadians when the leader of your state uh says repeatedly 
uh, and profoundly that he's not subject to to the law, well, that that causes everybody out. That sends out the signal, doesn't? I mean, if if well, Moses he's the, had he's, he, like, uh, you know, you, what a wreck, you know, right? He's a he's so a he's answer. a don't do as I he's a don't do as I do do as I say. Right. Yeah. Justin Trudeau yeah. is yeah. Uh, he's yeah. a walking contradiction. Uh, I yeah. mean, he is an absolute writing concern. And I know that for myself, uh, most of my viewers know that I've been engaging with the top RCMP in BC. Uh, Commissioner McDonald, uh, he's now assistant. He was assistant commissioner. Now he's deputy uh, commissioner. He's been promoted back in June. And uh, I tell you, I've got all the evidence on him that he has been well informed from the onset. I sat down with him July 20th. Uh, uh, or July of 2020, and I laid it all out for him. And he claims to be a Christian. And what I see here is uh, that he's been complicit to the tyranny in this uh, country and that of the government. They say, well, we got to follow the orders. And it's like, our constitution love, you know, Mr. Beckford coming on and just learning Mm -hmm. so much from him. But it's clear that our constitution is the supreme rule of law in Canada and that anything that is in uh, contrary to it is of no force and effect. Bonnie Henry, Hinshaw, they have no authority over us. And it's so frustrating to see people, you know, that we could head back into the fall and they're going to march right in ready to put their mask back on because it's what they know and they trust the government. Yes. And so, the trust right, is, as yeah. you say, is misplaced. Yeah. A hundred percent. Oh, it says, uh, can you provide an update on the uh, employees who uh, you've taken on for the University of Winnipeg? Mm-hmm. Where is so, that case at? Uh, that, case, that case has been sued. Um, the, uh, the, the lawyers for the University of Winnipeg, and it might interest people to know that uh, invariably uh, these governments and universities, they always hire private uh, law firms, usually big, big law firms who represent them. So it's interesting, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, organizations like Action for Canada and the Democracy Fund are crowdfunding lawyers to fight these cases. But, uh, but our Canadians tax dollars are being used to, to hire mm-hmm. high priced lawyers on behalf of uh, governments and large corporations. That's just an aside. Uh, anyway, uh, the status of that case is um, the lawyers for the University of Winnipeg have brought an application to have the case summarily Dismiss. Of course, we've seen with some of the cases that Mr. Gulati has brought forth that this is sort of a tried and true thing. They've uh, they've experienced some success with it, and so this is the approach. They don't want to have the case go to trial and have to hear evidence from witnesses and give people an actual opportunity present to present a case. And so uh, the 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 go to strategy is to bring an application for uh, summary dismissal. In this case, mm-hmm. what they're saying is we've sued. Uh, we've sued for a violation of the human rights of uh, three teachers, instructors who are at the University of Winnipeg. The uh, University of Winnipeg is maintaining steadfastly its uh, vaccine mandate policy. They won't bend. And um, what uh, the, the lawyers for the other side are saying is that uh, what we're suing on, these human rights violations, are caught up, are caught by the terms of the collective bargaining agreement that we're essentially suing employment rights. Uh, of course, uh, we say that's not so at all. Uh, so um, we're going to have a contested application. It's going to be heard in the early part of April. So uh, okay. uh, I'll certainly keep you updated on that. But that's the status of that, of that case thus far. 
Well, I know, and, and people are of great interest, right? I know that uh, when I got this case going, I, well, it was just a conversation with Rocco in July of 2020, somebody else, a constitutional lawyer, actually Carol Cross, and she's a lovely lady in Alberta, and she'd seen the bill for BC, the provincial bill, which they were passing across Canada for these emergency acts, and which they did unlawfully. They bypassed the legislature. They didn't get public in, input. They didn't demonstrably prove. So I always say those those orders, you can blow your nose with them. I mean, they're just not worth anything but people don't understand it right if they could just embrace that we, we this would all be over and uh so one of the keys though i find and that and one of the things that i want people to understand is that they've 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 done a motion to strike with our case it was supposed to be heard in uh february but of course uh i spoke with rocco last week everybody so just so you have an update he is recovering He's not in a position to be in, in, in court. He's not well enough to do that at this time. And so ours has been adjourned um, until April at this point, uh, depending on his recovery. Now, it's normal for them to go ahead and say a motion to strike. Like you said, they don't want to show up in court. And what we've done through Rocco is we've retained world experts uh, for the vaccine, for the mask, for the PCR testing. And one of the big things that's not happening, I mean, it's all great for lawyers to be going in across Canada and saying, oh, I'm taking on this case. But unless you're going to come in with expert witnesses right now, um, a lot of those are losing because they've got their expert. We're not coming in with an expert witness at this point. So the judge is going, you know, with, uh, you know, who's got the strongest case. And, and that's been a sadness to me to see because one, it puts a bad view on a case like what Rocco is doing for Action for Canada because people want instant results because they're hurting and they're panicking and they're fearful. But in the long run, it's not going to serve everybody well. We've got to go in it to win it and make sure that we're very mm -hmm. well prepared. Right. Right. Yeah, you yeah. know, the other thing about experts, what you say is very true, Tanya, but even the even more frustrating thing is that when you think of the Gateway case in Manitoba that was heard last year, Chief Justice Choyel basically, uh, the, I mean, and and Justice Center brought in really world-renowned experts, and uh, and the judge just ignored it. He just said, "Look, I'm not an arbiter of science, and uh, you know, so I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm just going to assume, presume the existence of something called a pandemic, and that the government is doing its best to, you know, to deal with it. And of course, that doesn't get to the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter is the experts that they're in order to require a court to determine whether or not there is a scientific basis, an actual scientific basis, factually, evidentiary, that there's evidence for a finding that, that there is actually something called a pandemic. In other words, does COVID-19 actually pose a serious health risk to the population that would support these lockdown measures? And there's no, right. we haven't been able to get a court to really decide that. We're hoping to get well, that in the Ingram case, but... Right. So what happened, though, because in the in the Manitoba case, I mean, it was incredible. Uh, they had finally uh, the JCCF had brought in experts on the PCR testing, which forced the Manitoba mm -hmm. government to bring in a PCR expert as well. And he agreed with what many countries around the world, their experts yeah. have said. Belarus was Dr. one of the Bowler. first that came out. Right. And said that it is uh, not reliable. And so we were like, OK, so what's happened to that? I mean, that should have uh, voted very well for the JCCF's case. Why hasn't that been uh, made a bigger deal of? Well, my reading of that case, I, that, that was Dr. Bullard and uh, Dr. Bullard actually testified in that case. And, he, and he's 
the leading Canadian expert on PCR testing, by the way. And he yeah. said that it's wrong 56% of the time. And actually, right. um, at the number of cycles that the test was being run, it's wrong virtually all of the time. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, nice. um, Justice yeah. Joyal uh, placed no no weight on that, uh, and uh, and really um, did not did, did, was dismissive of of uh, the expert evidence, especially the expert evidence that was provided by uh, by the Justice Center witnesses, and and so that's why. And, and he essentially said, "Look, I'm just a judge. I'm not a an arbiter of science." I'm not, the court cannot be expected to be a scientific expert. And uh, basically, scientific, scientific um, issue. Uh, interestingly, in the Alberta case, um, the government produced the same expert that they did in Manitoba, um, a doctor named Kindrachuk, but they had a different PCR expert. They didn't produce Dr. Bullard again. Uh, and so I cross-examined this other expert on what Dr. Bullard had said, and he had to adopt, the, you know, Dr. Bullard's evidence. Um, but uh, as I say, the cases that have gone before, there's a Baudouin case in BC, there was the Gateway case in Manitoba, and now the Ingram case in Alberta. Um, we haven't been able to get a judge to, to really look at this. And one of the concerning things for us in Alberta right now is, and I'm just stating the facts, um, in Alberta, most of the COVID restrictions have been removed, except in courthouses. In courthouses, we have a, we have a COVID zone. So in, in courthouses... Oh, uh, yes, I've heard the, that. Yes. yes. So the restrictions are still in place in courthouses. So here we are. We're appearing virtually in the Court of Queen's Bench because the court would not, would not order, despite our request, the court denied our request to have Dr. Hinshaw appear in person because the court would not subject her to the risk of the mighty Omicron. And so we're doing this virtual hearing. And, uh, it, you know, we, we have a, a judge who comes into court every day and she, she wears a mask. And if we were allowed to be in the courthouse, we would have all the COVID restrictions there, social distancing, all of it is, is mm -hmm. still in place. And so we're going to a court, asking the court to, to strike down these COVID restrictions and the court itself has more has more serious COVID restrictions today than 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 exist elsewhere uh, than than the government. Yeah, it's so corrupted. So, um, yeah, it's, these are, it's well, frightening. I can't say it's corrupt, but I'm saying it's a concern. You know, it's it's uh, yeah. as a lawyer, it's a concern about whether or not. Um, I mean, our clients are concerned, especially that they're going to get a fair, impartial decision. Now, uh, so far, the judge we've had has been excellent. Justice Romain, she's been very good. And uh, I haven't seen, I, you know, I, I, it would be, be totally unfounded for me to suggest that she's been biased in any way. She listens carefully. She's, she's, she's smart. And uh, so, it's, so far, I, I think that the justice has been good. But I'm just saying generally, it's of yeah. concern. You know, the courts have well, it's, restrictions it's, in place. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you say Justice Romaine, because is she not the one that was behind, uh, you know, the attack? I'm going to say the attack against Pastor Arthur Pulowski. And I thought she was the one that had put through the uh, secret warrants. Justice, it was Justice, uh, did you say Romaine or Germain? Justice Germain? Uh, you're thinking, I think, Justice Germain. Uh, who's Justice Germain. Okay, good. Uh, yes, yes. He's coming to a lot okay, of uh, that, you know, criticism. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that was yeah, Justice I know just was involved in those cases. Yeah. Yeah, Judge, Judge Rook, and then the most uh, recent one. So can we talk about Pastor Arthur for a moment? Why is he still in uh, uh, solitary confinement? I've spoken with Sarah a couple of times. I'm actually doing work that I, I won't announce right now, but that will be coming um, another avenue to not only help Pastor Arthur, but any other pastor that's going to be under attack, because this is serious religious persecution in Canada. Uh, a governor or a senator, a senator in the United States has put Canada on a watch list because of the religious persecution. Um, it is well known that this is uh, uh, considered torture in countries to put people in solitary confinement. I think uh, Pastor Artur has been there nearly five or coming on six weeks. Uh, so what comment do you have, if any, regarding this situation? I, uh, I've never met or spoken to uh, Pastor Archer. I've only seen, you know, what people have seen in the in in the media, and I know if I consult on his case, so I, I probably shouldn't mm-hmm. say too much about the particulars of his case. However, I would offer a comment. That this is a concern as somebody who's practiced criminal law uh, for for over two decades in Canada. Um, I'm very concerned about. Um, what's happening with the law of, of bail, of judicial interim release in Canada. Um, the, the, some of the bail conditions that are being imposed on people, uh, for, for example, the lady who mm-hmm. was uh, involved in, the, in, in organizing the, the Freedom Convoy, yeah. these, are, these are unconstitutional. A, a court sitting in a bail hearing has no authority to impose bail conditions which cause individuals to uh which restrict individuals constitutional rights and this is exactly the same thing that actually happened with pastor Coates. pastor Coates was in jail for 35 days in remand because he was presented with this awful dilemma where in order to be released yes he would have to sign a paper saying that he could not preach the word of god to his congregation and uh and actually he talks about this in our podcast interview and um, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the amount of courage and faith it would take to make that decision, you know, when you're, you have a congregation, uh, you're a leader of a congregation, you're a husband and you're a father of young children, every single day, every waking moment of every day, yeah. he, he, could, uh, he could have forsaken his religion to secure his release. What kind of a society mm-hmm. puts a Christian pastor in that position? And, and right. why is that bail condition there? I mean, he, he can't practice his freedom of religion, and a judge is setting a bail condition that violates okay. his freedom of, of religion. To me, this is unconscionable. Mm-hmm. It's unprecedented. And uh, again, it speaks to the, the inversion of the rule of law. It's only in a society that has no regard for the supremacy of God that a judge would set... Right a condition of bail that a Christian pastor cannot preach to his congregation uh, for fear yeah, of spreading a, a virus. So, so yeah, I'm concerned an anti-God, about, about, about yeah. bail generally. Yeah, anti-God nation at this point, anti-God government. I mean, they hate creation. They hate what is good. And, you know, evil, uh, just just a good news story. Evil always loses. <laughs> so let's keep that at the forefront of our minds. Yep. God is still on the throne. He, as yep. I've said weekly, he yep. is allowing us to go through this because we have, you talk about bail, but there's another bail of the Bible spelled B-A-A-L. 
Oh, and uh, that was one that brings in all kinds of evil and wickedness into a nation mm-hmm. and usually starts, my friends, with the uh, uh, death and destruction of, uh, of the unborn, of, of children, and the sacrifice of children. And when Canada in 88, was it somewhere in there that had uh, agreed to abortion without limitation in Canada, that was the beginning of the end to us for our freedom and democracy. And I've been challenging people, we got, we got to get right with God we got to become a moral and ethical society today because once you open a door to evil, it, it doesn't have a limit. It's going to keep coming in. And that's why we have sexual perversion being taught in our schools and, uh, you know, unscientific uh, uh, stories about men being able to be women, etc., and laws and trying to compel, compel the speech that you can and cannot say and keep you in bondage. It is time to talk loudly, bravely, freely. And if we can all unite and do this together, like I say, this is going to be over. And, you know, I just so appreciate your position on these issues and courageously speaking out against them as well. And uh, Terenzio, can we bring on a few people? Please raise your hands if you have a question very specific uh, to Leighton and whether, you know, uh, from a legal matter and its uh, legal standpoint. So Terenzio, do we have someone lined up? Yeah, I'm just going to ask if so if anybody wants to ask any questions, please raise your hands. We do usually reset the hands just because uh, we want to make sure that everybody's there in front of their computers. So we have a few guests ready. The first one we have is uh, Ken Van D. I'm just going to say, Ken, you know who you are, Ken? Are you there with us? (laughs) Yes, I am. Hi. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Hi, Ken. Hi. Uh, The question I have, uh, you were... There was some discussion earlier on about um, having not not being able to get through the court case because the judge is not willing to arbitrate in cases that uh, are not discussed in science. Uh, I've seen something similar going on with the climate change claptrap discussion where they're talking about something called a Daubert standard. And I'm just wondering, which is about making sure that that their professional testimony is, is key to having the court case solved. I'm just wondering if there's anything like a Dalbert standard in Canada that can be applied to these cases. Hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not familiar with the Dalbert standard. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you brought it up because now my curiosity is peaked. I know what I'm going to be Googling as soon as I get off this call, but I'm afraid <laughs> you stopped me, sir. Um, okay. The name what I the- can tell you. Yeah. So, so um, I happen to think that uh environmental scare is just repackaged red communism actually that's why everything uh, the whole environmental issue is phrased as an attack on capitalism it's rather strange that a scientific issue is packaged as an attack on capitalism because it's repackaged red communism in my opinion um and uh, and the real data on the environmental if you want to see some real data on uh, the truth about the environment for example, that uh, carbon emissions globally have been reduced by about uh, 28% since 2006. You should check out somebody named Bjorn Lomberg, who was no less than the Minister of Environment for some obscure country called Sweden. Uh, you might want to check that out. But unfortunately, sir, I, I wish I had an answer for you, uh, but I'm just not familiar with, uh, enough with the Delaware Standard. I can tell you that in cases involving science, a scientific issue such as COVID, yeah. The, the tradition has been that we bring in experts to provide uh, opinions, authoritative opinions, which a court will then rule upon on a balance of probabilities. So where we have competing scientists, the role of the court is to actually look at both sides 
and then decide which side of the case is more persuasive. And unfortunately, we really have not had that type of ruling from any of the courts in Canada who have uh, looked at these cases yet. There's been a reluctance to get into that science. And I think the reason why is because, and I'm maybe showing some bias here, our side of the case is very compelling. We have scientists from universities like Stanford and Harvard and Oxford, and, uh, and their science is junk. It's just modeling. They're using the same modeling to, to predict COVID catastrophe that's used to predict the weather. So, yeah, enough said. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you for your question, Ken. Next, we have Kim. Yeah, I was just curious about the CN litigation and whether um, Ken still join the case or not. Um, the uh, the lawsuit uh, that we have prepared has been has been filed. Um, it, it, they made a decision not to proceed by way of a by way of a class action. Um, the one uh, bit of comfort, though, to you is that if you are impacted by the issues that are raised in the lawsuit, then and if we are successful, then you by implication you are going to benefit from that result. Okay, so that result. If it's successful for us, it'll impact everyone who's similarly situated. So you don't have to be part of the lawsuit in order to benefit from it. But they decided to go um, with um, they decided to go the route uh, not as a class action suit, uh, you know, for certain reasons that I won't go into here. But uh, so the only that they they went they went with a smaller group of plaintiffs. Uh, that that was the decision that they made based upon legal advice. So. Okay. Hope that answers the question. It, it does. I have a son-in-law who forced a vaccine um, okay. to keep his job, and he actually works for CN, and he's between nice. that high-risk age of 25. Is he a unionized worker? He is. Okay. Hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your Thank question, you. Kim. Thank you, Kim. Next, we have John Perry. I'm one of the, a group of uh, government workers in New Brunswick that have been on leave without pay for several months. Um, in November, our union said they're not representing us. Um, and they're not representing us even though our, because they agree with the suspensions. Also, when we submitted our um, religious exemption request to Treasury Board, there hasn't been one successful uh, rel religious exemption in New Brunswick uh, awarded. Um, so we're looking into getting a labor lawyer and we were wondering what points we should bring up to him, whether constitutional points or labor points or, you know, what, uh, how should we attack that? Well, I can tell you that your, your story is far from unique. In fact, it's been almost uniformly the case. Uh, it was much worse back in the fall. And I, I suspect I don't have, I can't prove this. But just because of the uniformity with which this strategy was employed, uh, what has happened is unions, which uh, are, their role is obviously to represent workers and to try to equalize bargaining power as between a large institutional employer like a government or a big company. Their role is to sort of pool the bargaining power of the individual workers and have a level playing field. And the CBA is set up so that the, the union can be the instrument by which uh, grievances can be brought to the attention of the employer. So but what has happened is that we've seen unions um, uh, pretend to sit on their hands and to align themselves with management 
And very, so often we have heard from union representatives that they've, got, they've gotten some authoritative outside legal opinion saying that we're not going to even bother advancing your grievance because uh, you know we're just going to lose their arbitration. So here's what happens. The individual workers, they are prohibited by the terms of the CBA from enforcing their employment rights directly against the employer. They have to go through the union and the union won't do anything. So you see what happens. So, sure. so what we have done, the strategy we've employed and um, that I might suggest, and this, we've had some success with this, is we filed labor board complaints, uh, which basically put the unions in a position where they have to justify their decision to an independent uh, body for why they are not, they are not exercising and, and uh, discharging their duties to the workers under the terms of the CBA. And what we haven't had a single one of those complaints go to hearing. Every time the union has either uh, caved and has taken up the the grievance, or the the um, the complaint has gone to mediation. So we have had some some success with you know with with doing that. The other thing that we've done is we've we've um, we've developed a strategy, litigation strategy where. We're suing on behalf of the workers uh, for violations of their human rights as distinct from their employment rights and uh, as a sort of a workaround way to, to bring pressure to bear upon the employer. But, um, you know, um, I think you're on the right track, but those are a couple of strategies that uh, you might want to raise with your lawyer when you speak to them. John, I just want to let you know, you have another option as well, it, especially it would be great if you have multiple employees that would be willing to do this. But I had mentioned during uh, the beginning of uh, when I was just going over the website and a bit of our material is I've had great success. About a week and a half, a gal came to me. She worked for a city and the RCMP. And uh, they had tricked her into signing a, a document saying that if she wasn't vaccinated, that she'd be terminated. And her union rep, who's a real stinkeroo, I'll tell you, he tried to uh, just say, without her knowing about it, to the HR person, he said, just go ahead and, and, and go on, um, allow them to terminate you. And so he had proposed that they terminate her early to the uh to the hr person without her permission and so she ended up on this situation where on uh, a saturday she found out that monday she was being terminated so uh, that's she just happened to meet me i got involved and i wrote a very strongly worded letter to her union rep and included the uh, mayor the city council her hr person and the president of the union who had been newly appointed and as a result of these letters, the union rep came back and he was trying to uh, chastise her for including the employer, the mayor and city council, and said, this has to be confidential and you're going to lose all your privileges, etc." And so it was a matter that he didn't like to be exposed. So he, he was doing something wrong and illegal and unlawful. And now all of a sudden it was brought to the attention of the mayor, city council, the head, and, and we named it. I said, what you're doing is unlawful. This is not about employment law. This is a criminal issue. And it was also sent the wording to the mayor's city council. Then I, we did another letter to the HR person um, who also is very much involved in this and let her know that what she was doing is unlawful and illegal. And this is not an employment issue. This is a criminal issue. 
And within days, they were like, oh, you know, let's have a conversation about this. And they've reinstated her to unpaid leave. So now we wrote another letter stating that's not good enough. You know, this again, I'm, this, is, this is going to go forward and you need to immediately re- reinstate me fully. And basically in BC as well, they've overturned the, uh, they've uh, lifted the restrictions. They say as of April 8th. So we said, why is this even an issue? To, for her to show her medical private information. But anyways, those letters are on the template page I, I was mentioning. And you got to remember, we're talking to other citizens. And if they'd robbed a bank um, or slapped you in the face when you came to work uh, or, or sexually assaulted you, you'd be going to the police and you'd be pressing criminal charges against them. We're not going after them in their capacity as an employee, as a a uh, human rights uh, or human resources person as a health individual we're going after them as you know Jane Smith what you're doing is criminal and you got to take responsibility for it so anyways it's just a suggestion you can go on the website try it start writing to these people and hold them personally liable and we're already as we promised after the notices of liability, everybody exhausted them. Uh, they've worked extremely well for some people. They've gotten masks off the children. People have kept their jobs. And uh, for the ones involved in unions or the medical professionals, you know, they were forced into these unpaid leave positions. And now we're going after that individual, that HR person, that manager with criminal charges. And it's happening across Canada right now. And so that is the next step. It's unprecedented. We're not making any promises, but we'll never be able to say we never tried everything. So just make sure you have all your evidence and everything lined up in advance. And uh, we've already had some of the uh, courts accepting some of them. So we're just going to keep proceeding and and see where this goes. Thank you for your question. Next, we have Donna Kemp. Hi, Donna. Hi. um, I received an email this morning from Gifts and Go, and they basically said that um, update on the Freedom Convoy trucker funds, the Canadian government has criminalized the receiving of funds from the Freedom Convoy 2022 campaign and now are trying to seize the funds to redistribute in order to protect our givers and the intended purposes of their gifts, funds not already transferred to the recipients from the Freedom Trucker Convoy campaign will be refunded automatically. No refund requests necessary. Additional information will be posted shortly. So um, so how do we get this in the cash format to those truckers whose bank accounts have been frozen? Like, obviously, everything is being tracked through the bank accounts and through, uh, you know, platforms like Gives and Go. So um, is there a particular way of donating cash? Um, I'm afraid, Donna, I I can't answer that question. It's it's pretty far outside the scope of, of my knowledge and expertise. I'm not involved in in that type of, uh, you know, financing and so on. So I, I'm afraid I, I don't have an answer for you. I know that I, I had to heard about this and people have asked me about it. Um, and so I understand, you know, why you're, why you're concerned, but I don't have, uh, I can't give you an answer as to how 
this money can be put into the hands of the truckers. It's simply outside the scope of my knowledge. Sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't give you a better answer. Okay, thanks. Okay, thank you for your question. Next, we have Stefan Woodyard. Stefan, are you with us? I'm not sure what you meant, um, Leighton, when you said that freedom can be found by obeying the Ten Commandments, because that's not true. Well, um, we can, you know, my I, understanding of salvation and Christianity is that obe obeying the Ten Commandments is not how we find true freedom. True freedom is found in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus. And um, I know this is not a theological um, uh, form here, but when someone says something about Scripture that I don't believe is true, that's misleading the hearers and the participants here. Um, so true freedom is not found in obeying any commandments. It's found in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus. Well, or maybe that's been misunderstood, Stephen, in, in what Leighton was saying, not to speak on your behalf, Leighton, but if we're looking at true freedoms are found by if we obey scripture, right, life would be a whole lot different in Canada right now. And yes, I, I absolutely, you know, we come through salvation through Jesus Christ. There's that's not a question. But how do we live out freedom in this nation? We, we do it by obeying God's word. Anyways, Leighton, what, what do you have anything to add to that? Uh, well, what I'd suggest this gentleman is uh, I was I was paraphrasing uh, an explanation uh, for what is in what is in the Ten Commandments that um, has been explained by a biblical scholar named Dennis Prager, um, who has written a wonderful book that I recommend to people called The Rational Bible. And so what I'd say to this gentleman is rather than I mean, I'm not a theologian. Uh, I was just expressing my my own my own belief, but uh, what I'd recommend is perhaps have a look at what Dennis Prager has to say about about that because he'll do a better job of explaining uh, that notion in his book. It's called the Rational Bible, and there's also uh, if you if you if you visit uh, uh, his uh, he has explanations about it on PragerU. There's short videos where he goes and he'll explain in short form what he means by that. But I was, I was boring. I was paraphrasing something that I heard Dennis Prager say that I happen to agree with. But uh, so I think that would be a better way for, uh, for this gentleman to, to go and sort of. Coach. All right. Good. All right. We'll, we'll go on to the next. Um, Trenzio, um, yes. Leighton, many people have asked if Leighton could please post in the chat your podcast. Because they'd like oh, sure. to follow you. Okay. Okay. So how would Thanks. I do? How would I do that? Uh, so just uh, oh, I see in the chat, and then yeah, I saw the settings. Okay, I will do that. Hello, Leighton uh, and uh, Tanya. I just wanted to say I'm I'm in basically the same boat as the other examples you've talked about tonight. Uh, being, I think probably the only employee of city uh, being put on leave, and then on January 26th being terminated. Uh, they told me by email that the first grievance meeting had happened and that the represent union reps were to meet and get back to me, and that hasn't happened yet. Um, so I just was thinking to, okay, you mentioned um, arbitration board um, as the next step, depending on what comes from the grievance. Um, would Tanya, would you be willing to write a strong letter 
I've already written notice of liabilities to all the council members, to the city manager, uh, to my immediate supervisor, but um, nothing has come from that. Okay, well, one, I would suggest that you go on to the template page right away. Sheila will repost it in the chat right now. And then uh, take a look under the public facilities under cities and uh, the letter that I was referring to. And I would recommend that you use uh, those letters. Uh, if you provide your email to Sheila as well, I'll try to reach out to you. But I, I've got a lot of emails and people to help right now. So if you could use the template. We just need to hit people right between the eyes with liability right now. They need to go to sleep at night and put their head down and wonder if you're going to take action against them. All right. Everybody has been going along to get along to keep their jobs. And, and the greatest threat right now has been the government, which is no threat at all, but they just don't know that. So now how would you feel if you're showing them that you have proof that what they're doing is committing extortion and intimidation and uh, that uh, according to the, the Canadian public health that vaccines can't be made mandatory in Canada because of the Constitution? We've got everything in the letter to support your position. Now, they have a duty and they'll probably want their lawyers involved. And once they come back saying this, this person has, you know, a position, uh, they're concerned. They don't know if you're going to actually take press charges against them or pursue that. And that's where they need to be in order to start uh, changing this direction. We're going after the low hanging fruit. We're not going after the health officer. We're going after that manager, that supervisor, that union person who uh, is taking on authority that they just legally don't have. And we're trying to rock their world a little bit, right? And shift their thinking. Anyways, okay. So like I say, provide Sheila your email address and I'll, I'll see if I can hand out, uh, get in touch with you. But please get on the template page and start reading that information. All right, we're ready for the next question. Uh, from Crystal Jin. Hi, uh, I'm working in a hospital in Vancouver. It's a big hospital. And um, I had injury from my first vaccine. So I applied for exemption and got rejected. Um, I received the letter from the PHO office on March uh, 4th. And then my employer, uh, it's actually, it's a Fraser Health, uh, the HR, and then they he told me that, and my manager also, they told me that I am, uh, as of 14 days from March, uh, March 4th, so uh, from 18, I'm on LOA, leave of absence, uh, unpaid leave for two weeks, and then I'm subjected to termination. So uh, tomorrow is my last day at work, and then I'm on, on, on unpaid leave for two weeks. So I don't know what uh, can I do now, but I, I really do, don't know. I'm from China 16 years ago, and then now what I see in, uh, happening in, China, in Canada is exactly what happened in China or and this still happening in China. So I'm really sad and then I'm really confused and then I feel helpless. Mm -hmm. And then I'm really scared so to get the second jab too because I already, I already see the, the problem and then the more, the, the more dose I get, the more injury. 
I believe this is the, the, the what's happening to other people, right? So I'm afraid to get the second shot. But my manager said, no, by the PHO order, it says, uh, you, uh, yeah, terminate, termination. But my question is, in legal as, uh, aspect, sorry, you know, PHO, oh, PHO just uh, issued the March 9th, March 7th, all healthcare workers, it's the, it's the, they don't mandate anymore. According to previous, the, the second previous, it was February 9th, PHO says all healthcare workers, no matter work in community or hospital, they have to get vaccinated by March 24. But they got so many pushback. Now, the PHO sent out a new, most recent one, which is March 7th, dated. And then in that, it says that they only need to provide uh, vaccine status to, the, to their college. Everybody has to provide. So my understanding is all healthcare workers provide their vaccination status to, the, to their college. So I think it's applied to me, but my HR... And my manager says, no, no, that PHO is only applied to the community healthcare workers. We are going by the um, PHO from October 14 last year. So six months ago, they are following six months ago, that the PHO. So according to that, after the, the like, if I'm not getting second job, then I'm uh, out uh, the, the, the job, get fired the 14 days. After okay, so the, Crystal, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so Crystal, let's let Leighton respond to that if he can. Leighton, what would you have yeah. to say? It's quite tyrannical that's going on in every province right now, but we're being hit in the healthcare professional industry right now really hard. I'm yeah. not yes. quite sure. I don't quite understand what the question was. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I, didn't I don't, quite, I don't uh, think she, she talked quite a bit. So my question Jeez. is, most recent one, PHO, it says the all healthcare workers, but the, my, my uh, HR says that is only applied to the community healthcare workers. I am working in hospital. So in hospital healthcare workers, they say we have to follow the uh, PHO issued on um, October 14 last year. So in that one, according to that, we have to get to two dose, according to October 14th PHO. But now what I'm saying is we have to follow the most recent one, which is March mm -hmm. 7th. In that PHO, it says everybody has to uh, uh, provide, uh, provide the vaccination status to their college. You know what? Crystal, Crystal, I'm going to I'm going to interrupt for a minute. OK, you need to get in touch with one of our local chapters if you're in Vancouver, wherever you are. And we'll give you some assistance because this isn't something that Leighton can answer. He'd have to take a look at the uh, the yeah. PHO at the orders and to compare the yeah. whole bottom line point is, Crystal, is that you don't have to take any of this. What they're doing is illegal and unlawful. They've already injured you. You should be filing assault charges, you know, against them. Uh, it is going to take time to undo this. The health orders are supposed to be over by April 8th, and um, you need to get in touch. On our Workers uh, Unite group, I've done many, many webinars on this subject. Please go in there, take the time, invest, and listen to the videos, because throughout the fall, I covered all of this. 
and provided you all the tools that you need. Okay, so what and is I'm the sorry, website? Yeah. Okay. Okay, Sheila will provide you the Workers Unite group. Just look in the chat and we'll provide that for you and you need to get in touch with a chapter. Okay? Yeah, it is It is uh, months and months and months of this, of listening to people being threatened with their job or vaccine. This is extortion. This is intimidation. This is corruption. And you got to try to hold the line best you can. And, and my advice is, no matter what, your health, your life is not take, worth taking this experimental injection. This is not a vaccine. And we have the proof of it with the Pfizer. Anyways, let's take one more question. Uh, you've been very gracious with your time, Leighton. We really appreciate that. All okay, right. Trenzio, one yes. more question. Jessica. Hi. Hi, Jessica. You're up. Three minutes. Hi, thank you. So my question is, I work for SC8. So, you know, we're one of the three schools that mandate that did the mandate in BC. And I yes. am with the teachers fighting like heck to undo this. So we've been organizing and sending letters to the school board trustees. Um, and my, my stance has been fight through the union. And I'm interested in how you're saying that I did get a response from the union that they said that there was only 55% um, when it was finally disclosed. I, I used my personal health uniqueness. I have a very rare condition um, or had um, that I suffered from when I was younger for many years of neurological nature. So I can't take the vaccine because I do actually have a valid exemption and the union knows this. Um, So I kind of leveraged that to try to get a response. And they did admit that there was only 55 that disclosed. Um, So that means there's 45 that are unvaccinated. And that was after all the coercion. So I guess my question is, Do you think that that would help us? Because originally they said that there was a lot of numbers. Um, They needed the high numbers in order to not push for a mandate. But I'm wondering if, if not have, because, you know, they're very worried that we're, they're not going to be able to fire us all and replace us. So I guess that's my question. So, so ask your specific question. Okay, so Leighton, this lady works for a school district eight, which I believe is in Nelson. And there was three school districts in BC that had kind of voted yes to the vaccine, but they allowed testing. And of course, they're trying to manipulate and coerce them into providing their VAC statuses. And with that in mind, then would be put on unpaid leave. They're very tricky. They haven't been able to do it because of the pushback of Action for Canada. 30 schools, one of them has uh, reversed their decision from yes to no, so we're doing good. And so, Jessica, what is your very specific question? I guess, should we focus our energy on the union and, like you say, targeting those specific people or the person in the HR that is directly taking our, like, it sounds like we need to target the specific people, um, like, and then also we need to write the mayor as well. Or serve them with the um, liabilities? Uh, well, that is not really a legal question I can answer. It's more of a strategic one. Yeah. Um, my, you know, I, and this may not be the answer you're looking for, but I, I believe in massive action. Uh, so I, I would do all of them. Okay. Uh, what, yeah. what we advise our clients to do is to, exercise all of, we call them self-help options. Those include liability letters. 
Okay. Those include cease and desist letters. Those include statutory human rights complaints. Basically, you know, we think of the word uh, sabotage. Sabotage is a, actually a French word. And sabot is actually a French uh, for the wooden shoe, like the Dutch clog. And the word comes from back in the Industrial Revolution, the 18, late 18th century. You know, they used to work men, women, elderly people, little children around the clocks. And the only way that they could they could slow down the machine and get a break is by taking off these wooden shoes and throwing them into the machine and bunging up the machine. Hence the word sabotage. So think of it this way. <laughs> well, throw all the wooden shoes at these people you possibly can yeah. because you don't know what's going to work. It's it's uh, This needs an all-out assault. Don't hold anything back. So I would say... I'd say send it to everybody, uh, you know, anything, because you don't know, you don't know whose desk that's going to land on. It might land on somebody who's waiting for that letter, you know, so that's yeah. what I would say. I know it's not a legal answer, but as a strategic one, I would say we need massive act, massive action for Canada. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> I love the sounds of that. Uh, Jessica, actually, it's kind of a gift that you're, you're um, one of the people asking a question, question that the last gal got bumped so you could ask. I am highly interested in having a conversation with you because we have, I developed another letter in response to Bonnie Henry's order that she put in place on January 16th. You know, she's so silly. That woman is so silly because, you know, the whole reason we're having success at Action for Canada against the school boards is because we're letting the trustees know that her orders to uh, have a vote whether teachers should get vaccinated was unlawful and it could lead to personal liability for the trustees. So what does she do? But she turns around and she puts an order in place in January telling her that I have now, you know, with her fairy dust, dubbed all of the uh, local health officers and given them permission to get school staff's vax information if they feel there's a cluster or something in that region. And guess who has to hand over that vax status? the school board trustees. So there, nothing has changed. So we have another letter that we've written to the school board trustees. We've sent it via email because they're trying to ban any kind of uh, personal contact and serving of notices of liability. But you are somebody that I would like to get the letter into your hands because you have an opportunity here to make sure it gets uh, to the people who are going to be liable. And then we're gonna follow through with personal liability if they continue. We're going to start pressing criminal charges against each of these individuals. So, like I said, it's unprecedented. We're not making any guarantees and we got to bring the rain. <laughs> right. So, all right. Well, thank you, Jessica. If you could um, maybe send Sheila your email address, please, privately, then Sheila will make sure I get that and I'll be in touch with you. Sorry, do I do that on the how do I get in touch with Sheila? In the chat. Oh, okay. Thank you. Sorry. That's okay. Zoom is kind of uh, new to some people as far as communication, so we're all good with that. This is a family. You're you're amongst friends here. <laughs> uh, such a new way to communicate, eh? That we're we're used to. Not the human contact we'd love. But if you get involved with a chapter, oh my goodness, it's so great because we do have community gatherings, and so that's really important. So Leighton, not to not to hold you up anymore. From I'm sure that. Uh, your time is very precious. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for all the work that you are doing and all of the cases that you are pursuing. We're going to pray and ask the Lord there. I love it. 
we get some applause there, um, to pray that God would bless you and your team and that there would be many successes. Do you have any closing words for everyone? No, I just want to thank everyone for consuming this this podcast and for uh, having me on and giving me an opportunity to 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 speak to you uh, about these cases. It's very important, and I I try and take every opportunity that I can uh, to to speak to people because, of course, the, the, these messages are being totally blocked by mass media. Mm-hmm. And I want to commend Action for Canada for the work that it does in supporting people through uh through these multiple crises that are being imposed upon us by our governments thank you and you know uh leighton as well if you could have any empowering words tonight because this is the empower hour we want people whether it's a word of hope whether you have something empowering whether you have an action that they could be taking personally what is something else that you could just add before uh you sign off that's a question that i get asked a lot and uh uh, I, I come back to you know the old serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to to accept the things that I cannot change, change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So what that means is is when you listen to people and you can hear this in the questions. I know you get this a lot, Tanya. People feel they feel disempowered. They feel like they they're helpless. That they're victimized. That they're just sort of twisting in the wind, and the wind's blowing, and they can't do anything. But the truth is, that's only a feeling. The reality is much better. And there are things, if you take a close look at your own life, everybody, every human being has a value. Everyone has something that they can do. Everyone can give encouragement. Everyone can pray for someone else. So there are many, many things you can do in your own life, in your own sphere of influence uh, that can make a really big difference. And uh, taking action makes a difference yes. when when you have a problem and and you feel like you can't do anything uh you know there's always something you can do you just have to think carefully about it reach out to one of these chapters take in a podcast you know call somebody who needs support call somebody to ask for support for help but just take advantage of the things that you mm-hmm. can control in your own sphere of, of influence there's just it's been proven so many times the difference that one person can make. Everyone can make a mm-hmm. difference when we join hands, we work on this together. There's That's how we're going to win this, is joining hands and working together. But joining hands is an action. So I guess yes. my response is take action. Find a way to take action. Super. All right. Well, thank you again, sir, for coming on. Much respect. And uh, we hope you'll be on again. And I look forward to hearing about some wins. (laughs) We're going to think positive. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Okay, everyone. And thank you. Um, uh, uh, Trenzio, could you just bring up our guests for next week? All right, you guys, you're not going to want to miss next week. We're going to have uh, Dr. Greg Gary coming on. And as we've said, we need to give our youth a voice. And Action for Canada is going to work diligently. Uh, They are our future. Our youth are our future, and we've got to invest in them. Genevieve is a young girl. She's 14 years old, and she is has become an activist. She has become vocal at rallies, speaking in Osoyoos, BC, and Kelowna, etc., with her sisters. She's been homeschooled, uh, but that has not left her unharmed or uninjured by all of this COVID nonsense and this COVID fraud. It's affected family relationships. And so we're going to look forward to a little more testimony from Genevieve, 
We'll be bringing on other youth in the future. We are creating a youth freedom movement. And Genevieve is going to be part of that team with Dr. Greg Gary and our very own host, Heather. And so as we close the show, um, one, I want to encourage you to make sure that if you have a child 12 to 19 years old, please make sure they register uh, with the upcoming, starting April 1st, the uh, leadership and uh, teaching our youth how to speak and how to address authority. It's going to be an eight-week course. We're very excited about that. The next week, um, it, we're going to have a very special guest on talking about AI and digital ID. Again, you're not going to want to miss that. I tell you, the first time I heard him was about three and a half years ago, and I did find it very scary, scary but we're going to make sure that we bring hope into it. And then we're going to have Dr. Greg Gary come on. Um, he not only deals with youth, but he is absolutely amazing in talking about um, cash, how to invest, uh, cryptocurrency, the uh, World Banks, some of the corruption. And again, he always has a message of hope at the end. So these are the next few weeks of the Empower Hour. So make sure that you're keeping an eye out for that. All right, I'm going to close it by encouraging you all to remember to go and pick up an elderly person and take them for a drive and an ice cream and remember to give them big hugs and love. Love your neighbor. And I just want to wish you a very good evening and God bless you and God bless Canada. Thank you.
I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada. Yeah.